continue our gender series today, looking at biblical manhood, the brokenness that we experience, and how Jesus brings redemption. Years ago, um, several years ago, the rangers in the uh, Kruger National Park in Africa were faced with a problem. The elephant population at the park had grown so large that the herd had, had to be reduced, and so a plan was devised to disperse some of those elephants to other African parks. Um, you can imagine the, the difficulty that it is to disperse um, elephant, uh, anything that large, right? So they had the challenge of, of figuring out how to transport them. So they constructed these specially designed harnesses, which they attached to the helicopter with the idea of airlifting the elephants to other wildlife preserves. However, the helicopters, uh, they were able to lift the juvenile and the adult female elephants, uh, but the much larger adult bull elephants proved just too heavy for the harness. So what they had to do was just the juvenile uh, or adolescent adults or adolescent elephants and the adult females were relocated without the presence of any adult males. And the transport all seemed to go smoothly until the rangers at one of the new parks where they took these young elephants and females um, started to notice something strange. What they noticed is that white rhinos were suddenly turning up dead. At first, the the rangers thought this might be the work of poachers seeking after the precious horns of the rare white rhinos, but upon closer examination, none of the rhinos' horns were actually missing. Moreover, their wounds had not been made by rifle shots, but rather punctures with long, sharp objects. It was actually not the work of poachers. And so who, who was it that was killing the rhinos? And the rangers set out to, to figure that out. So they set up cameras throughout the park, and what they found astonished them. The culprits were bands of young and hyper-aggressive male elephants who, after, were chase, after chasing the rhinos, then knocked them down and gored them to death and stomped on them with their, gored them with their tusk and stomped on them until they were dead. And such behavior is really unheard of in elephants. Elephants are are generally docile creatures who rarely attack other animals, especially in packs. And yet these juvenile male elephants were banded together and they were terrorizing not just the rhinos, but other animals as well. So they were forced to ask, like, what's going on? What could be causing this bizarre behaviors? And the rangers came up with a theory that under under normal circumstances, in, in the world where an elephant would live, adult uh, bull elephants are there and they are a dominating presence that keep the younger bulls in line. <clears throat> when, for example, the elephants experience must or a time when elephants, you know, t- testosterone levels skyrocket, really, you know, like puberty in young men. Um, when they start getting all of these new hormones and all these things happen and, and it's mating season. Um, the uh, they, these young bull elephants don't know how to control themselves. That sound familiar, right? Uh, but what would happen in normal circumstances is the, the older bull adults would keep everything in line, right? They're, they're going to keep the the society in line. They're going to they're going to be the dominant force and teach and really by by way of that uh, teach the younger elephants how to to handle their aggression, handle their hormones, handle their their breeding desires. <clears throat> So what they begin to realize is that these young elephants who had been transported were missing the presence of their elders, but were missing the presence of the older males to stabilize society and teach them how to be. And so 
To test this theory, the rangers brought in a number of older bull elephants. They figured out a way to transport them, and they brought them into the park. And sure enough, within a short period of time, the older bull elephants let the younger ones know in no uncertain terms that this, this behavior, this rough behavior of theirs, was not elephant-like. And within a week, actually, the, the uh, acting out behavior ceased. Instead of terrorizing other animals in the park, the younger elephants, the younger bull elephants were following the older bull elephants around, imitating their more appropriate and civilized elephant behavior. I tell you this because I believe that 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 story actually serves as a really interesting parallel and parable even to our modern day society. Right? Because what, what many would do in a situation like that is, is identify the young elephants as the problem, right? That they are the problems. They're the one causing these issues. They're out of line. Their aggression and their strength and their dangerous nature it has to be dealt with, right? And so they, many people would say, okay, they're the problem. We need to get rid of them. But the wisdom of these park rangers and um, those that have observed elephants over time knew that something was out of whack. That's not how elephants are supposed to behave. And so they, they came at it from a different angle. And they knew that it, it wasn't the, the strength of the elephant. It wasn't the wildness of the elephant. It wasn't the power of the elephant that was the issue, right? That it, there was something wrong in the culture. There was something missing in the lives of these young elephants that needed to be addressed. And so they brought in an older set of male dominant bulls to, to set things straight. And I believe that the same is true of our culture regarding men today. There is all kinds of talk currently, like right, like real-time talk about masculinity, right? Is it toxic? Is it toxic masculinity that's to blame? What do we think of the Gillette commercial? What do we think of this? Who's, what's going on with the Me Too movement? What do we need to do? How, what does, in, in all of this conversation is, is, is you know, centering around, and especially the gender confusion world, like a lot of this has to do with what do we do with these men, right? They're, they seem to be aggressive. They see, and, and there certainly is issues, right, in our culture. There are women being objectified and enslaved and abused. And, and, and listen, one of the most haunting videos to me was, was seeing a, a, a video, which everything gets videoed nowadays, right? But a video of a, of a man beating a woman like on a subway or something. And instead of someone stopping it, like stopping it, there's there's people standing by, like, videoing and just watching this, right? Same is true in classrooms. Like, there's all these videos of, of men and young men going, as, like, into this world of aggression, going into this world of, of you know, what might, you might call toxic masculinity. And, and instead of stepping in and putting a stop to that, there are other men that are just passively standing by and letting it happen. And in that, I believe we have... The, the two extremes of what has happened in the fall of man. In the past weeks in the series, we've been looking at Genesis 1 and 2 and how God made us in his image, and it was good, right? He made us not just accidentally and a little bit, but he made us male and female in his image, and he pronounced it good, right? That our, that our maleness and our femaleness is, is not just biological, although it is that, right? It's not this fluid thing that can be moved in and out of. It is biologically designed and intentional, but there's also there's, there's characteristics that come along with that. Biblical manhood and womanhood reflect the image of God for not only his glory, but for the good of society and the people in it, right? So we, we've talked about that, but what happens in Genesis 3 is telling of how we get to the issues that we have today, right? That there is a breakdown, a failure of the man, the first man, Adam, to be the man that God has called him to be, to, to, 
a failure to protect his family, to lead in his family in the way that he uh, had been commissioned and designed by God to do so. <clears throat> and we see, right off the bat, we see passive sin on the, on the part of Adam where he does not engage, he does not protect his wife, and therefore the fall of man enters in. And very quickly we see that we go from the passivity of Adam into the aggression of his sons, right? When Cain kills Abel. And in that we see very quickly that's going to be the two lanes in which masculinity gets broken. We're going to have passive disengagement, right? Or aggressive, sinful, domineering abuse. And so many would look at society and say, man, men are taking advantage of women. Men are doing this. And they would fill in the blank and say, they would say, it's, it's this manhood. It's this idea of traditional masculinity that's the problem. And it needs to be done away with, right? We need to move away from that. We need to effeminate. And they wouldn't use the word effeminize, but that, that, that's the issue. Toxic masculinity, macho, like being strong, having a purpose, having a voice, like that. that's the issue. And they would say, okay, we need to move uh, that idea of what a man is, the, the, the danger, like make them less dangerous and more domesticated, and then the world will settle things out, right? And how's that worked out? They've asked, our culture, our society over the last several years and decades has really asked men to stop being men. And now we stand and wonder where are all the men? Why has our world gone to the state that it has? And listen, the effects of men not being men are paramount in our culture. Just huge. I'm not just saying that from a pastor-preacher perspective. Like sociological, you can't deny the fact that when men fail to be men, the way that God has designed them to be protectors, providers, warriors, like to, to have the strength that God has given them to display it, not only for their, like, not for their selfish gain, but for the, for the good of others that are around them. When, when men fail to take the responsibility that God has given them to, to be the primary caregiver to, or, or the primary providers and the head of the house and of the church and of society, like when men fail to do that, it's not that women won't step up and haven't done many great things. And listen, my mom was mom and dad to me, and she, I'm grateful for her. And many of you women are filling in the gaps where men have failed to lead and and. and Praise God for you. But listen, the, the issue of when men fail to live out their calling as men is easy to identify in the culture, and it's not just about Christian's sake, right? Just sociological, you could see just a few of these stats about the, uh, the impact specifically of fatherlessness, but I think it's not just about dads not being dads. Like, it's about men not taking responsibility, and that impact is, is just huge. But it really, it starts and, and really is at the heart, a lot of it, of fatherless, fatherlessness. So, so. I think it's something like 22 million children in the, in the United States are living in fatherless homes. That is drastically more than just a few decades ago. Back in the 60s, uh, it was something like 8% of kids grew up in fatherless homes, and now it's, it's uh, I think, 36 or so. Like it, it's, it's a drastic increase. We'll keep going in those, Sean. Um, but fatherlessness affects really so much of our culture. Kids who grow up in a fatherless home are far more likely to experience issues with substance abuse, 10 times more likely to um, abuse chemical substances. 71% of all adolescents that grow up in a fatherless home um, or that are substance abusers came from a fatherless home. This just keeps going and uh, getting worse. Just keep going through them there, Sean. And, and poverty, the fatherless families are 44% more likely to raise children living in poverty. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are 
fatherless. Next. 80% of all adolescents that are in psychiatric hospitals come from fatherless homes. Children who grow up without fathers are two times more likely to commit suicides. Affects our education. Kids from fatherless homes are nine times more likely to drop out of school. Just in general, less likely to attain a professional uh, degree and, and qualifications that allow them to flourish in life. 70% of adolescents in juvenile correctional facilities come from fatherless homes. Listen, you can't ignore these statistics. This is, the impacts are huge. 60% of rapists were raised in fatherless homes. You're 11 times more likely to have violent behavior and 20 times more likely to be incarcerated. It affects sexual activity and teen pregnancy. They're nine times more likely to be raped or sexually abused in a home without a biological father. Makes sense, right? You're supposed to, so, so many ways that dads are supposed to be preventing that mess. 70% of teen pregnancies happen in fatherless homes. Listen, I, it, it's just nearly impossible to ignore the impact that men failing to be men has, not just on us personally, but on our society. That there's a huge breakdown. And the reason is God made us to be this way. But, you know, we have our own sin that, that drives us in one of those directions. And now in our culture that says, no, we really don't want you to be men. We really don't want you to live out that way. We, we know, like, listen, and there's so many, like, we can't get into all the ways that this plays out. But schools, like, you know, boys are so much more likely to be medicated and uh, diagnosed with ADHD and medicated for that. You realize that? Now, there's some, like, there's some that actually need that medication, but there's some that are just daggum boys, right? And God didn't make them to sit still for eight and a half, like eight hours a day. It just ain't going to work. So as our culture moves away from admiring, exalting, and modeling biblical God-designed masculinity, the effects continue to multiply over and over <clears throat> throughout our society. <clears throat> and listen, I'm not saying that we give people a pass if they didn't have a daddy. They still have to be held responsible for their actions. What I'm, what I'm saying is that rather they're focused on their behavior and saying that the strength and, the, and the, the wildness of a man is actually the problem, we need to eradicate that. I, I would say more like the, the elephant solution. Let's look at the, what's actually causing this to go wrong. What's actually causing masculinity to go awry? And let's look at what could actually begin to solve that problem. And I think when we do that, we'll be a lot closer to an actual solution and we'll be a lot happier of a society. So I'm not saying that we need to eradicate the idea of, of man, but rather we need to call men back to be in our society and to take their role as the anchor, the provider, the protector, and let them, call them, require them to embrace the responsibility in our world to make the difference that they were designed to make. So I would present to you and say that the issue is not too much masculinity. Rather, on the contrary, it's actually a lack of true masculinity. The issue our world is fueling all these other things. It's not because men are men and we gotta, we got to stop that. It's because there's a lack of actual true masculinity. It is not by accident that God made the elephants to be a huge and powerful and majestic creature, right? And God is not apologizing for his creation in that way, right? And, and so it's not, we've got to 
make the elephants stop being elephants. No, no, they have to be harnessed and raised in such a way that they are elephants the way that God designed them to be. And the same is true of men. Like it is not, God is not apologizing for the way that he's made us as men. But there's a need to redirect, heal, and commission men out into what God has called us to be. So, the issue is not too much masculinity, but rather a lack of true masculinity. The issue then becomes who gets to define that, right? Who gets to define what is true masculinity? And I would say that, that it is, you know, scripturally, I would say it's the God who made us, right? The God who made man in his image, right? That he gets to define masculinity. But the problem with that then becomes that we have done, as a church, have done such a poor job of teaching and showing what God's true image is that that's actually at the heart of so much of our issues is that we don't know who the God is that we worship and whose image we've been made in. And so we have reduced what it means to be a Christian man into down to like being a really nice guy, right? Being a really, really good guy, really nice guy, really tame and, and, and bored and dull guy. Like no little boy dreamed of growing up and being a nice guy, did he? You see little boys that are wearing cowboy boots and and shooting guns and and killing bad guys and turning anything they can into a weapon, right? And from the earliest age, they're they're building a block tower just to knock it over, right? And and you see all of this happening. And listen, at the same time, it's true. If you're honest with yourself, women, you didn't, as a little girl, you didn't dream of growing up and marrying a really nice guy, did you? Right? There's something innate and God-designed about masculinity that is supposed to be raw and and wild even like think of God like so part of what we need to do first and foremost is redeem the image of the God whom we were created in right we got to redeem the image of our God so that we can know what we're called to be and so part of that has to be first and foremost is to look at what does the scripture say about our God from the very beginning we see God creating the world and everything in and all the beasts of the field and I want you to think about that like we say that and we have cute little pictures of Sunday school images and these cute little animals and all these things but listen Whose idea was it? Like, you ever watch like these uh, blue earth things and you see the depths of the oceans? We've only, we've only explored like a small percentage of it, but like the depths of that and then the creatures that live within there. Or just take the shark, our fascination with the great white shark, how terrified and just mesmerized we are with that. Well, whose idea was the shark? Right? Whose idea was the, the grizzly? Whose idea was the lion? And so on and so forth. You go, and, and listen, it's not just God made those, and he's like, oh, that one really got away from me. That's going to be kind of wild. I hope, it, you know, hope they can tame that thing and not die from it. No, he makes it, and he says what? It's good. It's good. I'm proud of that. Why? Because there's a, there's a fierceness, a wildness up to, to the nature of God, and it, he doesn't want us to be in this state. Like, he wants us to have a healthy fear of him and his creation. And so he makes these, these animals that remind us that, hey, listen, we, we've, we've got to, like, it should cause us to worship ultimately. So we have to let the Bible redeem the image of the God that we were created in. And I want to look at just a couple aspects of that, specifically po- focused on masculinity. And these aren't exhaustive uh, attributes of God, obviously. We're just going to focus on kind of the, the polar, the ends, the kind of the bookends of masculinity. And I want you to see that our God, like so often, you think of what you, what you image when you think of God, or specifically what people out in the world, it, like there's this broken image of who our God is. Like we think of God, the Father, right, as this kind of 
a grumpy, bearded, disconnected old man. Often, or we kind of just lay over whatever our father was, and we kind of think of God in those realms, right? Maybe grumpy, disconnected, not wanting to be bothered, short-tempered, whatever it may be. Like we have this image of God in, in that way. And then we think of Jesus, and man, what, what a poor job the, the church has done at, at uh, projecting the image of Jesus, the, the man, Right? Like, what kind of picture do we have of Jesus? Like, when you think of him, you have this, more often than not, you have this picture of, of, a, of a white man, which is interesting because he's from the Middle East, so he's going to have olive skin, but you have this white man with flowing hair, and he's really meek and, and mild and, and tame, right, and, and gentle. And these are the images we have of our God. And so when we call men to be, you know, godly men, that's what we think of. We think of this Ned Flanders-like life where we're just, you know, how do you do, neighbor? And just, you know, happy go luck. Like, I don't know. We, and, and that's not inspiring to any dude, right? There's no man that's just like, yeah, I really just, I'm just really working on being nice and good. Like, no, there's a reason that we're drawn to competitive sports where they're like trying to knock each other's heads off, right? There's a reason that, that we love the movies Gladiator and Braveheart. There's a reason that, that we're, we're drawn to competitiveness and UFC and all of it. Like, there's, there's a reason that that speaks to, like, there, there's, there's something going on there that, that, that tells us about our image and about our God and whose image we're made that we shouldn't apologize for, but rather learn to develop and lean into for the good of the world. The Bible says, Exodus 15, coming right on the tails of the the incredible story of God rescuing his people out of Egypt, right? Which that in itself, like, I I, uh, I don't know if it's Philip Yancey or somebody else that said, like, I don't think that the the people who are holding the people, God's people, Israel, captive in Egypt, I don't think they would describe Yahweh as a really nice guy, right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read the first few chapters of Exodus, and you'll see the way that God rescued his people out of Egypt was not just by being really nice and, and asking them. Not, like, he gave them a chance, and then he brought wrath on them in some really incredible ways. And then what happens after that is the story of the Red Sea, and we celebrate that, and we remember that. God parted the Red Sea and let the people of God cross on dry land. But what happened after that? The Egyptian army followed them in there, and God crushed all those suckers, right? Like, all of them, done, gone. And, and they come out of that, and Moses is singing because he doesn't know what else to do. He sings this song, and one of the things he says in Exodus 15, 3, he says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. He is our hero. He is our champion. But listen, you, you go on and on throughout the story of the Scripture, and you see that God is, is fighting a battle, that our God is indeed a warrior at heart, and, and that informs how us men long to admire and want to be a part of a battle, right? And I'm not just talking about, you know, macho, like fighting it. I'm not talking about Fight Club, right? Even though that is pretty insightful. If you watch that movie, I'm not endorsing it. Certainly not saying you should. But if you, there's certainly an insightful parable into the brokenness of men going on in that. But I'm not talking about just, just this physicality and fight. I'm talking about, like, we were made to be engaged in a battle because of the God whose image we've made in we're made in, is engaged in a battle. Amen? The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. <clears throat> Dorothy Sayers says this. He says, the people who hanged Christ never, to do them justice, accused him of being a bore. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. 
It has been left for later generations to muffle up the shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and commended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. Listen, I believe not only is she right, but I believe that that issue, that breakdown of who we see God as, is at the heart of our manhood issue. Because, listen, redemption, the way that we get, like, move forward in this world, that we experience redemption as men, it's going to come from the Lord. Only. Not just from men trying better, doing, like, trying harder, doing better. Like, we all know, men, that the struggles that we have, like, you can't do it on your own, and it's going to, like, beat you down. But listen, our hope comes only solely from the Lord. But if we don't know who it is that is redeeming us, we're not going to experience the fullness of what he has for us. And so I believe it's actually at the heart of our manhood issue. So the, the first step is we've got to redeem the image of who God is. So we have him in his strength. And listen, think about Jesus, the fact that he comes to earth in general, he knows he's going to face sin. Like, like he stands up, like the, the story of David and Goliath, we love that story. And listen, David was a bad joker, right? Like he's a bad dude. That guy, like as far as warriors go, Nobody stand up against, but even the, the story that we celebrated, David and Goliath, like we think, oh, like God's going to slay our, our giants in the world and blah, blah, blah. No, no, that story is telling us how God is going to be our champion and fight our greatest enemy, right? Goliath stands there and mocks all the people of Israel, and no one, everybody knows they're not winning that battle, and, and David walks up and goes, my God will take care of that, and he slings the stone, slays the, the giant, and, and that is an image pointing us to one day that Jesus is going to come, not bearing any super incredible strength, not in awe, like people learn in awe of who Jesus is. He comes meekly and mildly on a donkey, and yet he comes in fullness of strength. You see, you look at the story, whenever they come in the garden to take him, and Jesus, at one point when Jesus speaks, they all have to take a step back. They, they all fall backwards, right? Like, Jesus holds the power to crush all of his enemies in a heartbeat, and yet, so, that, so we need to know that, though. Before we go to the end, yet, we need to know that Jesus is a strong champion that has come to fight our greatest enemy, death, right? He comes to face it down, sin and death, and, and he doesn't back away. He picks the fight, in fact. So many stories, but I got to stay focused. I started going to Braveheart quotes, but that's a bad idea. <laughs> Listen, so you see the strength. You need to see the strength and the fierceness and the warrior heart of our God. All throughout Scripture, you see that he has a battle to fight. He's pursuing his people and then, when you see that, then you can rightly hold in tension his gentleness. Right? Because true gentleness is actually strength with a soft touch, right? True gentle, like we're not admiring somebody that's just gentle for the sake of gentle, like that's all they are. But if they're, if they're strong and you know that they can actually do some damage, like they, they, they have a presence about them, and then they show gentle, like a soft touch, that, that's true gentleness. Like, so God... Like Jesus, at the same time as that fierce, and, and if, uh, they're in your book, in your uh, discussion guides on your app. You go to resources, sermon discussion guides. One of the questions will have you look through different passages of scripture and and identify the uh, the characteristics of Jesus in there. So I would encourage you to do that. Whether you go to community group tonight or not, I'd encourage you to do that. But one of the passages you're going to read is Revelation 19. If you haven't read that, prepare to have your image of who Jesus is kind of blown up. Right, because he ain't coming meekly and mildly on a donkey like he did on Palm Sunday. He's coming on a white war horse with blood dripping off his robe and a tat that says King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's coming to do war. 
That's our Jesus, and you need to see that and know that that is never compromised in the character of who God is, and yet he shows great humility and humbleness and gentleness as he says, you come to me. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, I am, I am a lowly spirit, humble and meek. You come to me. That is what bookends and defines true masculinity. That is the God in whose image we are made. Yes, strength, but not just for the sake of mowing over people and, and our own good, but strength that is used for the good of others and gentleness that is used to protect, provide, and love. That, those are the bookends of, of biblical masculinity, and we don't have time to, to go through anymore, but, but that's the big idea. So the next thing, so we have to redeem the image of, of the God in whose image we're made, and then secondly, we have to receive the redemption that he offers, right? So many of us men specifically, like this is where it gets hard because we don't know because of our fathers have failed us because we don't know how to be emotional. We don't know how to talk about what we feel, what we want, what we long for. We just know how to do and close things off and whatever. There's a lot of brokenness you can get into with all that, and you know it. I don't have to pick it apart for you. But what, the hardest thing for many of us to do is admit that we need something, but here's the deal. Every young boy is born with a longing to know that he has what it takes. Every boy is born with a longing to know that he has what it takes. That's why they want to wrestle. Right? That's why they want to compete in sports. That's why they want you to watch them. That's why they want you to see, oh, look at my muscles. That's why all of these things. We want to know that we have what it takes. And in fear of us becoming toxic in our masculinity, so many of us kind of shoo that away and say, okay, don't be, don't be dangerous. Don't be rough. You don't need to know how to throw a punch. All these things, instead of embracing that strength and saying, yes, this is good. And when you need it, you use that strength to protect the vulnerable. Instead of that, we just kind of push to the side or many men just check out. Their dads weren't there. So they, there's so many things you could point to in all this. But really, the biggest hurdle for many of us is receiving the redemption that Jesus has for us. And what, what Jesus says is, listen, I, I don't know what your, I, I don't know. Jesus knows what your story is, though. He knows what your dad didn't, did do to you or didn't do for you or just wasn't there like mine. Like, he knows and he sees. And he knows the fears that you have. And he's not waiting on you to get it together. He's not hoping that you'll come through. He's saying, listen, I see you, and I love you, and I've come for you. Romans 8 has this beautiful imagery of, of him adopt, like coming after us and saying, you are my son. I make you my son. And that's not just about forgiveness and going, okay, yeah, I'm just going to forgive you, and I'll let you into my kingdom whenever you die, and I'll just kind of tolerate you in the meantime. Many of us, that's the best we could hope for from our fathers, right? That they would just tolerate us? No, no, no. Our, our good heavenly father says, I'm going to make you a son with full rights to who I am and, and to full rights to my throne. You come anytime and talk to me. And what we're going to do is we're not just going to forgive you and then let you wait and, you know, be a nice guy until you die. He says, we're going to make you into the image of the one who you were created in. We're going to make you like Jesus. That's the fullness of our salvation. It's not just about forgiveness. We talk about it all the time, right? Like Jesus has forgiven us and that's justification, right? But we are being saved actively, right? From the power of sin, like, and what that is defined as is sanctification. That's a fancy word of saying we're going to be made like Jesus. Because if he's truly redeeming us, he's making us back into the image that we were created to be in the first place. It's easy to see how that's broken, right? We've seen that culturally, and you know it personally, how you're broken uh, as far as becoming a man. But Jesus says, I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm going to call out what's good in you. And I, 
I'm going to call out the strength. And that doesn't mean getting big muscles and driving a jacked up truck and being able to lift heavy things and grow a good beard and all. Like some of those, like, I wish I could grow a beard, but that doesn't make me a man, less of a man because I can't. Right? It doesn't mean this macho-ness is saying there's, there's strength in the image in which you were made. There's fierceness. It's not about physicality. It's about what's, what makes you, dri- like what drives you to do good in the world, to protect, to protect those that are vulnerable, to step in, to provide, to fight when necessary. Listen, <clears throat> God's not honored when a woman is being beaten on a subway and there are other men just sitting there watching it happen. Our God, the protector of the vulnerable, the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widow, is, is honored when somebody puts that joker on his back. Say, you don't treat my daughters that way. And you'll have to go through us if you would like to. Our God is honored when we display masculinity in a healthy way. Not just to roll over people, and be, you know, for our, but for the good of society when we protect. Like, we know this, right? We know this about ourselves. Listen, no, none of you, I hope... None of you, when you hear a bump in the night, right, you, hear, you think someone's in the house, none of you kind of nudges your wife and says, honey, can you get this one? I, I went last week, right? Let me know how it goes. Like, that doesn't happen in any, any even in the most secular of world. Like, there's still the response, like, no, that's the, the man's going to handle that problem, right? Like, God, that is because we're made in the image of God. So he wants to redeem us and give us forgiveness. And that happens with what Jesus has done on the cross. And so some of you have, listen, you don't even know how to acknowledge what you're feeling, what you need. And then whenever you, some of you, when you, when you okay, I know who Jesus is now. I know who God is now. I'm going to stay away. I don't want to get whacked. I don't want to get ignored. I don't want to get rejected. And so we just kind of stay away from the gospel. And that's kept us from ever leaning in and receiving the redemption that Jesus has for us. But we have to receive the redemption of the gospel of Jesus Christ if we're going to experience Redemption as men. We have to receive it. That means we have to confess that we need it. We confess that we're sinners. We confess that we needed a daddy and ours failed us. And we need God to be that father in our life and speak truth and masculinity over us. That's what we need. And we need to be honest with ourselves and let that happen. So redeem the image of the one in whose image we're made. Receive the redemption that he has for us. And then live it out, live out his design. So we're going to end by just kind of quickly going through this passage. I know you're like, man, you're going to get to that, uh, uh, you know, scripture that they read or not. So yeah, turn to First Timothy chapter six, if you would, as we spend just our last few minutes here looking at, okay, what does what does what do we actually do? What does God actually require of us? All right, all that sounds good, Jordan. How do I go from here to there? What does God want from me as a man? And so I'm just going to look at these bullet points quickly. And they're not going to be on the screen because they're right there in your text. And I want you to, I want you to just feel this and, and see what God has laid out for us um, as men. And um, it, it's easy to kind of talk about what we're not supposed to do as men, right? It's, it's easy to talk about stop being passive, stop being aggressive, stop looking at porn, stop doing this. And listen, we need to hear those things. But, but I think more than that, we need to see what God has called us to as men, and I, I believe that what will actually happen is when we get a vision that is bigger than ourselves, when we realize God has called us into battle and that he's called us and gifted us and made us the way he has to live for other people, right, that we'll have a perspective on the other things that we struggle with, the things that we talk about we shouldn't do. Having a, pers- having a calling and a purpose that supersedes our own life will give us perspective on those other things that will actually bring freedom from selfish sin whenever you find a purpose that's bigger than yourself. I'll say that again. You'll be surprised at the freedom that you find 
from selfish sin when you find a purpose that is bigger than yourself. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and, Tim, and Paul tells Timothy this, but as for you, O man of God, so he, he, right before that, he's just said a whole bunch of ways that the world is broken. He says, but what you need to do, what you need to focus on, Timothy, O man of God, flee these things. And not just flee those things, not just about what you don't do, but instead, here's what you do. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. We're going to come back to each of those briefly in just a moment. But I want you to see the context in which the bigger picture he's laying out here in verse 12 on. He says, he says this, pursue those things and fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who made who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained, free from the reproach, or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, listen, you've got to keep fighting the good fight. Jesus came as a warrior. He has a battle to fight. He's accomplished the greatest victory, and yet the kingdom has to be subdued, and he's given that task to us. You keep it going forward. The confession, the good news is that Jesus is Lord, and he's saying that's what a man does now is he takes the kingdom of Jesus forward where he works where he lives, in the kids that he's raising, all of those things, he is taking the kingdom forward. And, and he says this, verse 15. You do that until Jesus comes back, which at that time he'll display at the proper time, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. What he's saying is we got a king, man. You got a battle to fight, and it's not just an aimless battle. You have a king to follow. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is our champion. He has taken out our Goliath, and we now get to run forward and advance his kingdom in his power and in his strength. And what that looks like is being biblical men and fighting for the vulnerable. And again, it's not just about strength. I want you to think about uh, the the world has changed and our need for battle has changed, right? And that's part of the issue. Like, we're made for this desire to battle. We got, we got guys that are 30 years old in their mom's basements playing video games. Why? Well, because they know they're made for battle, but it just gets all twisted and distorted into that. Well, listen, we need a real vision, a real mission, a real battle to fight, and, and God gives it to us. Jesus gives it to us. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He's conquered death, and he says, go and subdue the earth and tell everybody that I am Lord, and they can repent, receive me as king, or they will endure my wrath. Go. That's our role as men. And so what that looks like, men, is living with integrity. Things Micah talked about a couple weeks ago. Just real quickly, I want you to know it's not just about physical strength. I'm amazed at the way that some of the battles are fought right now. And and particularly, you you think about the human trafficking world and how broken that is and how young women are enslaved and boys uh, all over the world. And, and listen, there are certainly brave men and women who go in and actually breach those buildings and take them out, but they don't get there without the ones behind the scenes building the technology and the software to track those jokers and to infiltrate that. And so God redeems your strength. So it, I, I, listen, if you sit in the office, you work on a keyboard, you do those things, you draw, you uh, bring beauty into the world. You like, it's not about this macho-ness. I just want you to, I just want you to see that that God is going to commission you and send you out into battle, and it doesn't look like muscles and swords, although sometimes it, our, our strength needs to be displayed, right? I better not see a video online of some woman getting beat and a journeyman standing there watching, right? 
Men, let me just tell you, you, you stop that. You knock that joker on his butt. Like you put an end to that abuse. You know that a woman is being abused in her home. You step up, you speak up. You know that a child is being abused. Like we are the ones that need to defend the fatherless and the, and the, widow, the ones that can't defend themselves. God has made us strong for that reason. So you use that strength. Don't stand idly by and watch the world go to, to, go to crap. You step in, use your strength that God has given you. That may look like muscle and brute. It may look like wisdom and tact and you know, technology. I don't know, but you use it and you step in and, and be a warrior in the battle that God is fighting. So that's the context. Some of you are like, I don't know where to start. Here's what he says. Do these things. Don't worry about what you're, don't worry about the big idea. Don't worry about what you're not supposed to do. You do these things. Pursue righteousness. How many of you are fighting sin and killing sin in your own life? What this means, pursue righteousness, is means you're not just okay with the sin in your life. You're not just like, eh, yeah, I know, I, I still look at some porn, or I still, you know, drink a, a little too much, or I, I still do this, or I gossip a lot. Like, no, you're going, man, I hate that. And here's what I'm doing to work. Like, here, here's how I'm fighting that. Here, I'm dragging that thing into light with, my, with my, the men in my community group, and we're fighting that thing together. Like, we, we're pursuing righteousness in our life. I'm going to move quickly. Godliness. What that means is just be like God, right? We've talked about some of the specific ways that God, you know, has made us in his nature. So be a warrior, a protector, a cultivator, a sacrifice. This is not about being dull and nice like we've said. It's about being like God. And if you study who God is, you'll find yourself defending the fatherless and leading the charge toward redemption in this broken world. That's how God describes himself in Psalm 63, that he's a defender, like he's a father to the fatherless. He sets the lonely in homes. Like that's his heart. Micah 6, 8. It says, what, what's God required of you, O man? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Like, that's the, that's the image of biblical masculinity. Like, you, you do justice, where you need to speak up for you do that. You love kindness, you walk humbly with your God. You're not boasting about it, you're not drawing attention to yourself. Walking humbly, letting people feel the weight of how God has made you and masculine men. We don't need to apologize for that. We redeem it and use it for the good. Righteousness, righteousness, godliness, faith. Listen, that doesn't sound that exciting, but we have to lead out in our faith. It means we believe the words of God. All of this started whenever Adam failed to believe the words of God that, that this is what's good for you. You eat of all of these things, but not that. And if you do, you'll die. Adam didn't believe the words of God and everything fractured. You think back to the story of God's people coming into the promised land. They send out spies. And what do they say? I don't know if we can... And God's already told him, I'll, take, I'll, like, I'll give you the land, right? Two men have courage. The other ten go, ah, I don't think so. I don't think we can handle it. We better just stay out here. Like, it's so important that men lead out in faith and trust God at his word, and we teach our kids to do that. It may not, look, it may not like, make sense on the surface of where we're headed and what God's called us to, but we say, no, no, this is what God has called us to. And I'll die on that hill where Jesus has called me to because I know that's where life is found. And it may make more sense to do this. That, but no, no, I'm going to believe God and live a life of faith. So he says, pursue faith. And he says, pursue love. Listen, we should love fiercely. That doesn't mean that we just pursue a woman so that we can get what we want from her, right? It doesn't mean we just kind of love our kids. and give them, like We pursue fiercely out of a deep love. I want you to think about the, passage, the famous passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we know that, but think about what that in like what that involved, that he gave his son to enter into the mess, enter into the battle, and to actually die. Like he pursued us to the point of sacrificing his own life so that we could have life. 
That's laid out for us in what Michael walked through a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 5, right? That, that we as men love by sacrificing, giving of ourselves for the good of our family and for the others around of us, around us. Pursue steadfastness. That means we stand firm. We keep going. Things will get hard. So many young men are not taught to endure and to stay steadfast. When things get hard, we let them get out and bail out. No, we need to teach our young men to stand firm, to endure some suffering, endure some hardship, and fight through that. Because men, when you get to be an adult, things are going to get hard. Your family is going to be hard for you to lead. You're going to lose a job. You're going to experience persecution. And you need to be able to stand firm, be steadfast, to know the truth, to fight for it, and to not give up steadfastness. We keep the faith by standing fast. And then lastly, he says, pursue gentleness. It's perhaps the greatest display of true masculinity when we see a man of true power and strength display gentleness. I think of a, I know he got called out a couple weeks ago, but I think of a, just a giant of a man like Byron Farthing who's just a presence, right? And, he, and you, when he's in the room, you just, He's, he's that dominant elephant. Like, everybody else is just going to, like, fall in line. But to see him squat down and talk to my little girl, right, to see him love his girls tenderly, to see him sacrifice for his wife, his family, there's gentleness there. Right? This is what God has called us to. Don't be a boy. Don't be foolish. Don't pursue these things. Righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. When we do this, men, we will start to see the battle shift. That ground will be taken. Our society will start to feel the impact of godly men who aren't living for themselves but are letting their strength and their gentleness be felt for the good of others. We'll start to see great gains for the kingdom of God being made. Yeah, there's going to be times when we need to physically let that be felt and, and fight a fight, but more often than not, what it looks like is, is being there for your kids. It's not about how much money you make or don't make. It's about being there, being present, crawling into bed with them at night and asking about their heart, praying for them before they go to sleep. It looks like giving of yourself to serve those around you. It looks like living with integrity and so on and so forth. And hopefully you, you caught the sermon a couple weeks ago. I know that the, the recording failed and Many of you have been disappointed with that, but just find Mike out here. He'll preach it to you, just you. It's a good review, though. But listen, as we do these things, God will do great things through that. I want you to imagine as we close an army of, of men from the journey living out biblical masculinity and, and a revival starting even because godly masculinity being embraced and lived out by these you know, 75 men that meet in a pole barn on Sundays. I want you to think about what God can do through that, that indeed God has a battle to fight and he's calling us to engage, right? He's made you with skills to fight that battle. It's not about macho-ness and muscles. It's about being the image of God. As we raise our kids and love on them, the effect that it has on our girls when we're present and speak truth over them so that they're not asking that of other men and asking to be validated. When we speak validation and affirmation over our young men, then they know how to use their strength for the good and not to get attention, not to fill in a blank, get what they need. Like we, we, we begin to turn the ship around. We begin to see the impact of God's good design on our culture. Let's be those kinds of men. Let's pray.
God, I'm grateful that Jesus is no sissy that conquered death. Father, I know that there's men all throughout this room that all got all kinds of different sins and brokenness and fill in the blank. So I'm just praying that you would be on display as the good, sovereign, conquering king who is gentle enough to say, yeah, yeah, but you're my son. I pray we would see that and we'd be, have the courage to respond accordingly and embrace your redemption this morning. Father, we can't be what you've made us to be. We're sinful and broken and we need your help. Would you do a work amongst the men here in this room and our church and use us, Lord, to image your goodness, your strength, and your gentleness to the world. May it impact our kids and our kids' kids and the next generations as we embrace our responsibility as men. We need redemption, and we know that it only comes from you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.